Hi guys, this is another crazy week of pop culture. Are we all surviving? Here we are. Happy Thursday. It's Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays, and I'm your host, Brooke Hammerling. Pop Culture Well, hello, everyone. We are all recovering from what a crazy week. We're going to get into it. Obviously, I'm talking about Kanye, um, but we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Before we get into it, my guest today, someone, if you are a business person, you've seen her on your television every day on CNBC. If you follow me on socials, you have seen her in my Instagram feed and my Twitter feed. You've seen me talking about her book, when Women Lead, and that is the one and only, the beautiful Julia Borston, who is also the senior media and tech correspondent for CNBC and author extraordinaire. How's that, Julia? That's amazing. Uh, you should come with me everywhere I go and introduce me that way. I'll take it. Thank you every so time, much, Brooke. <laughs> every time you walk into the house with the kids, I'll be like, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we have Julia Borston. Hi, I can't believe you're Hi. here. Look at us. This is so fun. You know, we just need some rosé and some cheese and it would be like the way we are on a normal hang. It's all good. Yeah, um, so a, che- a good cheese plate. We are all set. Need a good cheese plate. You know, I did. I once uh, I once tried to teach a class on a cheese plate. And I, I can't do it. I just like putting cheese on a plate. I don't need the whole decorative thing and all the rules. But oh, I like to overdo it. I do it like yeah. all the things on the cheese plate, the nuts, the olives, the whole thing. But it's hard to teach it. That's like under pressure. Yeah, you need soft yeah. cheese, hard cheese. You need you need the whole thing. I'm, I've been introducing a little bit of a crispy potato chip on the side, like a little Cape Cod potato chip. I'm just going to say it's a crowd pleaser. It's a crowd pleaser. Everyone um, likes potato chips. We could sit here and talk about cheese all day. <laughs> I could at least. But we're here. to. I want to talk about your book and everyone. The, the notes will have the link to where you can buy this book. This is Julia's first book. I have not only read it cover to cover. I am halfway through listening to it just because Julia. So yes, I I have my audible credits. I love audible. I love audible so much. And I love that you did the reading. I mean, it's so great hearing you read it and hearing that story, knowing you so well. And all of us who watch, you know, your voice so well. So to have you reading it to us and it's in my headphones, I just, I find it funny. I find it very pleasurable. I, I loved recording the audiobook. It was the surprise surprise favorite thing of this whole book process is you write the book. You don't look at it for a couple months where while it's like in production and then you go into this crazy little, crazy little soundproof booth and you just, it's like going into severance, right? You like get severed because you put all of your devices outside, you leave your phone, your watch, everything. And you're just like monotasking, just reading and the book. Ha- so it's 13 hours or 12 that's, hours that's, that's and 42 minutes. Long it is. That's yeah. so long. I mean, I have you in my brain. Like that's like a long, that's like a committed relationship <laughs> a to I, me. I, yeah. But how long does it take to record it? And do you have an editor that's like, why don't we do that yeah. again from the top? So or there's a director. So there are people who are direct. audiobook directors and then there are tech people who are in charge of the tech recording. And I had Skylar was my tech guy and I had Randy who was my director and it, we hung out for hours and hours. And so basically there's like, a a glass and they can see you through the glass and they'll talk to you um, through a button. Like they'll press a button and be like, you got to redo that. Or you pronounce that word really weirdly. Like, let's do that one again. But you can only really do about six or six and a half hours at a time before you lose your voice. 
So it's it's really intense. Six and a half hours with breaks, with breaks at yeah. a time. Yeah. It's like a whole day. Experience. And are you reading it on a teleprompter or an actual book? So they give you an iPad with it loaded up of the final version of the book that's being printed, and then you go through like scrolling. Because if you were to turn pages, it would make noise. If you wear corduroys, it makes noise. Like you have to be really, really careful about what you're wearing, like soft clothes. And then you go, you scroll through on the iPad. And you kind of get into a into a groove. Like once you find the right speed, that you really get into a groove. As you might guess, I started off talking way too fast and they had to slow me down. <laughs> so how long did it take you all in? It was about four and a half full days. But it was like a it was like a weird marathon where I do like drink my coffee and sit in there and then just like chug throw coat tea. It was it was really intense, but really fun. Shout out to Randy. Did you wear cozy clothes? Did you wear like sweatpants? Yeah, and, and like big sweaters because it's freezing cold in there. Yeah, but shout out to my my team on that. that. We had a lot of fun. It was really intense. It's kind of a dream. I would love to see that, but I would love to be a part of that process. I, I wouldn't have even thought about the nuances of what that must be like, but I love listening to novels too, when the people are changing voices and they're like going into accents and stuff. And yeah, it's, it's always better when it's an actor, like Tom Hanks did some audiobook and I was like consumed by it. And yeah. as opposed to just some random person in a novel from this book, in your voice, your words, in your voice. It was, it's just really good. I'm actually, I realize because I'm dyslexic when I read my, my eyes tend to skip through things like yeah. that's, it's just, I do, you know, in unintentionally read over a few paragraphs or whatnot. So the audio version, I am, I am so committed to it. I like it so I'm much. I'm so glad. Well, it was really fun to do it. So you'll have to guess which parts I had to laugh and read. Oh, good. Because, that would be a game for know. me, but you know, yeah. <laughs> I want everyone to read this book and, and this isn't a book for women, even though it's written by a woman and many, many, many interviews are of some incredible female leaders from the tech world, from entertainment, from finance. It's just, it's an incredible sort of look at different types of leadership. But what I thought was so interesting is that this is really the idea of your book. And then I will, I want to get into it further because I want to talk a little pop culture. But what I love about this book, which is actually a great segue to what I want to talk about next is that you're giving people, especially men, because the, the fact is there are going to be male, lots of men leaders, political leaders, CEOs, whatnot. Men dominate the vast majority of leadership. We're yeah, not, they're doing just fine. They're doing just fine. They don't need any help, but they do need to listen to maybe some other type of leaders and there, there are lessons to be learned here for men. And I think M Melissa Zuckerman and I, who threw that amazing book party for you at Cheval, is it Chevalier's? Is that how I yeah, pronounce it? Yeah. So fancy in Hancock. Great LA local bookstore in Hancock. Yeah. And Park. the link actually guys for this book is going to be for that. So we're supporting local bookstores as much as Amazon doesn't need our money. It's fine. But we both Melissa and I just sort of came up to the same conclusion conclusion and it should be required reading. This book should be required reading in high schools. It should be required reading in business classes. It should be required reading by all male VCs. That's, that's like an oxymoron, right? All, all VCs are generally male. Except for or it's redundant, right? <laughs> redundant, VCs. not an oxymoron. See, yeah, thank you. But what's interesting is I feel like right now coming out of the pandemic, looking at all the challenges to our economy right now, there's inflation, there's whether we're going to be in a recession, there's still a war, like all of these factors of uncertainty. I actually think that 
the characteristics that women are more likely to lead with that I write about in my book, these are things that everyone needs right now. Like this is table stakes. Like everyone needs to be leading with empathy. Everyone needs to be drawing perspectives from across their organizations. Like men need to be emulating these things that have worked for women over the years, because right now everyone's facing bigger and different challenges than they ever have. And we've seen it time and time again. It's a broken record when these male run companies, when they fail, when the men get, you know, kicked to the curb. It is, I mean, I could write the script. I'm in comms. I know exactly what's going to happen. We start seeing the writing on the wall. It's always the same, like three fumbles, right? They've done something dumb. They either behaved badly, inappropriately. They did something, you know, knee jerky reaction. It just, it's so funny. It's like you could write the script, you know, what's going to happen. But I think that the companies that fail now are going to be failing because there's so much uncertainty and we don't know how consumers are going to react, right? Like we were just talking about Spotify, like what are people going to want to keep paying for if there's right. a recession? Like in last, in, in the, all the other recessions, people kept going out to movies even more so than before. I don't know if that's going to be the case because there are all these streaming services. So I think there are all these unknowns. Human behavior is just, if it's at the beginning of time, unpredictable. People think 100%. we're predictable, but there is so, the fact is by the definition, we don't even know if we're in a recession or not. That's yes. fascinating to me. Like, how is it? It's either we are or we aren't, but apparently everybody has a different opinion. And so we were talking about Spotify because this week Spotify announced their earnings and we were talking about how they, they had higher user g- growth than they yeah. anticipated, but revenue fell short. Yeah. Is that right? Or Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is, is like people seem to think that Spotify is something they're going to spend time with no matter whether it's with ads or whether they're paying for it, people think of music as like a utility. Maybe they will start and stop streaming services depending on what kind of content is on there. But music is the kind of thing that people always need in their lives. At least that's what these numbers indicate. So it's just interesting because I always think about like, what did I see when I was watching like the 2008, 2009 trends as an entertainment reporter? Like what were people doing and how is this time totally different? Because we have TikTok and we have not just Netflix, but we have endless streaming services, it seems like. So the proliferation of content options is overwhelming, but also has so many ripple effects. I mean, I'm making it so I actually never have to leave my house. I just got a treadmill this week. I have a treadmill in my house now. So I what about the, the Peloton? Are you a I Peloton have, person? I'm over Peloton. I, I've talked about this. I, I had a Peloton. I swore I would always use the Peloton. I'm not a bike person. I love walking. Is and, it like a standing desk situation? No, or babe, going, I'm looking. Yeah. This thing is it's I can't even I can't even begin to talk about it. I got a Nordic track and it's bigger than my bed. It's the biggest thing. It's like a Volkswagen in my office. It is not subtle. It is, you know, I, but the good news is I'm going to be so, fa- I'm never leaving the house. I mean, I have, I spend more money now than I ever have before because I spend on, I'm Spotify, on Netflix, HBO Max, Hulu, all of the premium services. I now pay for YouTube fucking TV because they have the BBC. I needed to watch everything that was happening in the UK and their news, but you can't get that on Hulu. So it's, it's ridiculous. But, but my I, question is, will you realize you don't need some of those? No, no, I need everything. I FOMO. Like the minute I, I let go of a subscription, they release some amazing content. And I'm not one of those people that's good at, there are people that are better. They're like, oh, I'm going to subscribe to this for the three weeks that I have this, you know, episodes that are coming out and then I'll cancel it. I don't do that. I just, I have, 
I have four Spotify accounts, I think. And I keep getting like, that's crazy. I, that yeah, doesn't make I sense. need to, I need to delete them, but it's just yes. the, the anxiety. I have anxiety. It's like, I don't remember the password and I just, I give actually up. think there are services that will go through your credit card bill, figure Babes, out how many I've done that. Okay, okay. There is one of them like rocket money or something. So they've alerted me to the fact that I have multiple accounts. It just, they can't help me cancel them. I, I we're not here to talk about my anxiety because oh, yeah, yeah. we could be here for days, <laughs> but back to women, you know, this is the thing back to being unpredictable. I have been as a woman, as a founder, as somebody who has a voice and as somebody that has been criticized for my appearance or told that I must be successful because of my appearance or not successful because of my appearance, whatever. And the fact, whether I'm married or I'm not married or I have blonde hair or I'm 48 or I was 28, like my, as a woman, I have learned to navigate so many different things we all have as women. And I felt like the last couple of years, you know, me too, whatnot, but I finally felt like, wow, I have a seat at the table. I'm in the room where it happens, as they say. And I've been so proud. And I know that, you know, there have been female founders that have fault faulted and, and failed. And there, you know, that's the more female founders we have and the more s- successful female founders we have, we're going to have more that fail. So that's a good thing in, in some ways. And then, you know, the misogyny, whether it's Donald Trump or all of these other things that have happened that have just been sort of like brushed under the rug. And then this week, two media outlets that I really do love that we have friends at the information and New York magazine did two like stories that really, really fucking disappointed me. I say lazy journalism, but they came out with these both almost exactly the same time. Both of them came out with stories of like, you know, fun, interesting, silly Halloween costume ideas. The information was almost all. No, I think both of them were basically all women and they were done by women. And the information had one outfit idea called Fallen Angels or Failed Angels. And it was a woman in like sort of a startup outfit, but like sexy with angel wings, but she's fallen from the heavens. And then they said it was Elizabeth Holmes or or Sophia Emerson. Amoroso. Okay, let's break that down. Elizabeth Holmes, Theranos, on trial for fraud, has had people's lives in her hands, like literally at stake. And then Sophia Amoroso, who is an incredible entrepreneur, had nasty gal, a failed founder, but by no means are these two the same. And then to make light of and put them together and have this like sexy fallen angel costume. And then insult to injury, which I think is even worse, was New York Magazine, The Cut, had a series of photographs as well of like, this is a lazy but great Halloween costume of Olivia Wilde, who has been a a subject matter for some time on the podcast and the newsletter due to the drama between her and Jason Sudeikis and And Harry Styles and the salad dressing. Yes. And they had her like you can dress up like her and, and they showed a picture of her in her velvet suit when she was speaking at a conference and was served custody papers publicly in a horrifying manner. And they made light of it. They're like, you can dress up like Olivia Wilde getting served custody papers. In fact, they called it divorce papers, which was wrong. So, and and there were so many people making light of it. There was like a series of 10 photos of making fun of women, making fun of women. And then they had when the, um, the female leaders t-shirt, which was like all the rage. What was it? Two years ago. I think the it's the future, future is female. Is female. Yeah. That was another one. Just 
just mocking that and saying like, look at it, that's a funny costume. And this, this is a, a woman wrote this for a media company that it reminded me of when we listen, when we listen to the stories of like, there's an amazing podcast about the time of Monica Lewinsky, right? And when we see these journalists that we respected and are we're considered the bastions of journalism, like Tom Brokaw and Peter Jennings and, and then David Letterman and Jay Leno. And they, we listen to it now from 1998, we listen to it now and we're horrified at the misogyny, at the the fact that they made her a joke, that they called her all these names, that the real journalists, like, and I feel like we're back here again. This is, we're right back at it. We're right back at, we all learned our lesson. We listened to this, it makes our ears ring. And now here we are, two respectable media outlets put out articles or whatever, slideshows, if you will, to get clicks, making fun of women and in a horrible way. Yeah. Uh, and it's so interesting. I mean, I have so many different reactions to this, including the fact that I have two kids in elementary school and the school sends out these emails saying we're going to have a parade at school and make sure your kid's costume is not going to hurt anyone's feelings. Like, obviously, we're talking about elementary school kids, but there's been such a reckoning when it comes to decades of people wearing racist costumes costumes that made fun of, or like sort of appropriated or made fun of people because of their race. You I mean, think about how many people were canceled or almost canceled because there are photos of them in Halloween costumes with blackface. Yep. So that is something that you do not do. That is not appropriate. And, you know, we've had such an open conversation as a culture about that. And it's interesting to think about making fun of women and what is, you know, what is appropriate, what is not appropriate. Is it appropriate to wear a black turtleneck and dress as Elizabeth Holmes with your hair in a bun? I don't know. You know, like that seems like that's pretty innocuous. But to me, what's the, the thing that's actually most upsetting about what you just said is this idea of equating the fraud failure of Elizabeth Holmes, who is currently on trial, and then the normal failure the normalized failure of an entrepreneur whose company didn't work out, which is something that, by the way, apparently, according to the data I've seen, about 90% of all startups fail in their first 10 years. So like Sophia Amoroso, successful multiple time entrepreneur, has had a failure. She has had one example of failure. She is in no way in any universe in the same category as Elizabeth Holmes. And I think that's what's so toxic about the way people are seeing women in society. And one reason I wanted to write my book, not to pull it back to the book, right, but please, I think that's that, why we're here. But I think that there's this idea of token theory, um, which is something I dug into when I was doing this research. This idea that if a person is in a minority group, they are going to draw a, a, a increased attention. They are going to be the subject of increased interest and attention and criticism because they are one among many people who are not like them. And they are also expected to be representative of their group. So if you are a black woman in business, you are in a tiny, tiny minority and there's so much more pressure on you not to do anything that could be considered a mess up because people will judge you much more harshly. Mm -hmm. Same thing is true of women. The more you're, what you're representing as a minority group, the more you'll be judged harshly. And so I think what's been so hard about watching the media's obsession with Elizabeth Holmes is that I watched all those TV shows. I watched the trial coverage. I loved the dropout. I was totally obsessed with it. My amazing friend, Rebecca Jarvis, did the podcast that the TV show was based on. I love that content, but... 
the world that is watching does not necessarily understand that Elizabeth Holmes is not representative of, of all, all female founders. And her failure is nothing like other women's failures. Like there, you'd be hard pressed to find any other woman who has failed and defrauded people to the degree of an Elizabeth Holmes, which is why it drives me crazy. Like I remember you know, driving around Los Angeles, everywhere you go there for a series of months, there were billboards with either a documentary about Elizabeth Holmes or, um, Uber. or, 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 or the, the scripted show about Elizabeth oh, Holmes. Right, right. The Amanda Seyfried is Elizabeth Holmes. So like you couldn't go half a mile without seeing one of those two billboards. Right. And what those billboards were searing into people's brains was that female founders are massive fraudulent failures because there aren't enough other examples of them out there. Right. And that's one reason I wanted to be like, look, guys, here are four dozen examples of amazing, massively successful female founders. But I think that the for a magazine to equate those two types of failures is just is just toxic. And it and I do wonder, you know, as we think about like what's appropriate, what's funny, you know, so much humor is always walking up towards a line and figuring out whether or not to cross it. Some comedians do cross it. Like, how are we going to be treating, you know, women and other groups when we've had conversations and reckonings around race? Like, what's the next conversation there? Well, it's also so interesting. I mean, when you were saying that it was that time when we were surrounded by billboards for all those shows, it was like we work or the we crash the super pumped and the Theranos ones were out all at the same time, which is like, I know all of those people. I've met everyone involved with those companies. You you have as well. But what I found so interesting, I, super pumped didn't, and maybe it was because I was too close to it. I don't know. There was just things that I didn't get as into, but what I noticed about we crash, which I loved, by the way, I thought it was so well done. And I, the producer there is amazing, but the thing that made it the, the interesting part was the Anne Hathaway yeah. part. Jared Leto, great actor, but it was, oh, everybody was like, oh, it was, she was the bad one. She was the one behind him that was the Machiavellian that yeah. was like, he was just led astray. Way, amazing per- amazing ways. performance from her, but is that is that fair to make it a, a female villain, you know? But that's what it was. Yeah. It became a female story. I mean, she was considered the sort of, you know, mastermind of a lot of it. And he, he was the sort of seller of the idea, but she was the one behind it. And whether that's fair or not, I just find it interesting as a society, we default if you will, to that sort of grouping of women are secondary, you know, and now I'm seeing these, these or secondary women are bad. Women can be the people behind the the trouble and women are villains and men. They just, you know, they're just silly things. And visionaries. They're visionaries. Yeah. Right, it, was, right. it was, yeah, I was talking to this mercurial and we're bitches and crazy mercurial visionaries. I was talking to a young woman who works at a startup who came to one of my book events and she said, you know, I could really see myself being a COO or maybe a CFO. Like I could really be a COO, but I'm not like a crazy visionary, which is what it seems like founders need to be. And I was like, go home and read my book. <laughs> I was like, but I do think there's this, this image in society that like you have to be a crazy visionary, Adam Newman person willing to like, you know, move fast and break things to quote Mark Zuckerberg to be successful. And the truth is, is that's not actually what it takes to be successful as a CEO, right? That's what it takes to make headlines. And maybe in some situations has helped companies drop funding from SoftBank, but that doesn't necessarily translate to long-term success. Right, right. Well, I mean, in looking at 
putting it back into this squarely, what, like what's happened this week. And I, yeah. we got to talk about Kanye or I know he refers to himself as yay. Sorry. And I've said in my newsletter, I don't, I don't want to call him yay. I, his name is Kanye West, but if he want, we call him yay, whatever you guys want to call him. Uh, this week it hit a, a turning point with him for a variety of, of reasons, you know, obviously around the anti-Semitism and his, his continuation of this narrative, his recent podcast appearance where he said he could literally be saying anti-Semitic things and Adidas wouldn't, would not sever ties. I could say anti-Semitic things and Adidas can't drop me. Now what? Now what? So after a rising vocal community, I think there was a, a choose.org petition that got over 200,000 signatures, but certainly mm -hmm. uh, over a hundred thousand and they severed ties and that's $2 billion of their revenue comes in from Yeezys and they walked away and Gap has now pulled everything from their shelves, including pulling their site down. And th that's all great. My issue is that this is not the first time we've had Kanye go and attack segments of the population. He's attacked women. He's attacked specific women. I mean, we saw him in front of the audience of the world, you know, attack Taylor Swift and call her less worthy. Yo, Taylor. I, I'm really happy for you. I'm gonna let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. One of the best videos of all time. And no company walked away from him in that point and any other point of time. And when he's criticized women or attacked or threatened Pete Davidson and put him in the video, but here we are and, and you know, and, and rightfully so, I mean, this is no joke what he was doing with anti-Semitism. but is it at a point that it was just too many things? Do you think it was just like, or this is a hotbed, like it's one, you know, we can go after this mark, this group of people, this group of people, but yeah. we've hit a limit when it's anti-Semitic or do you think or it's it just, just accumulation of stuff? I mean, to is me, it accumulation? Yeah. I mean, to me, what, what is, there was one thing that really struck me about the, the anti-Semitic tweets is this idea that Kanye West has, or Ye, Ye whatever he's going Yay. by now, yay, has more followers on Twitter than there are Jews in America. Isn't that why? And that this idea that like he's an order of magnitude more. And it really speaks to like how weird this place is we are in society where when there is hate speech, hate speech can be amplified unlike any way it has been before. And it's horrifying. Um, and so I think there's this idea. It's like, it's not like he's privately telling his friends or even, you know, telling a group of 20 people or even at a concert telling 10,000 people these anti-Semitic things. He's doing it to millions and millions and millions and millions of people who are then given an opportunity to amplify it. And I think that, you know, I, I think a lot about purpose-driven companies and companies that both, and I write in the book a lot about purpose-driven companies, like companies that actually have a specific social or environmental purpose that they will achieve in success with their profitability. But I also think they're mission oriented companies. Like we think about Patagonia or even companies that have been very explicit about what their standards are. Like we will accept this. We will not accept this. I cover Disney very closely through its handling of the don't say gay bill. And that was a fascinating, uh, a fascinating case study in a company that made a misstep about how it handled something. It didn't come out and really interesting, but like 
But Bob Chapek did not come out quickly enough against the don't say gay bill. And then he really worked on it. And you know what? He won back the trust of his employees by going, going big. Bob Iger would have done it different though. Well, yeah, maybe. I mean, they're very different CEOs, but I think what's so interesting is this idea of like companies don't have a choice now when it comes to figuring out what their values are. Companies need to figure out what their values are, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. And I think to a certain extent, they need to make that clear to their partners. And I think that will be very beneficial with customers. So this is not the first time we've seen a situation like this, where there's a question of whether someone has crossed a line. We went through the whole Me Too Times Up thing. There are always these questions. What's the line? Has it been crossed? What's been fascinating about this Yi situation is that he keeps on feeling like he's testing these companies. Like when he said in that interview, I'm not going to, Adidas will never cancel me because I'm too valuable to them. It was like, it was like a threat. And it, a was test. A, it was a finger pointing. And yeah, also I wonder, yeah. you know, it's so interesting. I did not know this, but I got really into researching Adidas over the last couple of days. And do you know what the name this stands for? No. What is it? The founder's name was Adolf Dossler and he went by Adi, Adi, A-D-I, and then his last name, Das, D-A-S, Dossler. So it's a, it's his name. It's his, his nickname and his, and his first initials of his last name. So it's Adi, Adi Das, Adi, Adi Dossler. And his brother, which is so crazy, Rudolf, was the younger brother, is the founder of Puma. <laughs> Can you imagine being at that uh, family reunion? And they were Nazis <laughs> and they were Nazis. They did it more for business reasons and political reasons. But they, you mean, you mean they were Nazis how long ago? You mean you're talking about it, when the Nazis when they started, were in power yeah, in when they, yeah, they, But you're talking about in the 30s. In the 30s, yes. They were yeah. part of the Nazi party and they did it, whether they did it out of survival, there are lots of reports they did it because if they saw the business opportunity, they saw that they could outfit the Nazi party once he became in power and they could have their shoes and whatnot. But I go on these tangents because I I, I find it fascinating. But I feel like Kanye was knew that knew that they had this history of the founders being in related to the Nazi party. And so he was playing that game. Like he knew it. I hadn't thought of, but at the same time, like, you know, if you go to Germany, it's full of, of, you know, never forget, we're never going to let this happen again about the Holocaust and Holocaust museums and memorials across the country. So in many ways, I feel like that is a country that is more cognizant of preventing a next wave of neo-fascism because they've seen it before. So, well, so it's, 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 yeah, it's very, it's such a complicated issue. I was just at Auschwitz and Birkenau this summer and, and was really privileged to be there with the head of the Auschwitz Foundation. And we had this um, unprecedented sort of access and tour and the rise of Holocaust deniers across the globe, but in Europe in particular, is at an all time high. And so they're all countering it. And so you're right when you say that Kanye had 30 plus million followers on Twitter and more on even Instagram. This this is unprecedented. And now we have Elon theoretically taking over Twitter, you know, by the end of this week. I mean, possibly. What advice would you or would you think some of the women in your book give Elon or what have you garnered from the women in your book that you've spoken to? What advice would you give him in terms of being, you know, I mean, I don't think he's going to stay CEO. I think he'll bring someone in maybe, maybe, but what, what advice would you give him? Because we're, we're entering into this, this is the tricky thing. And you're going to have David Sachs's of the world and whatnot have unprecedented 
sort of freedom. I mean, I, I use Twitter every single day. So I have to say, like, I'm a devoted Twitter user. I probably would pay for a premium service, depending on how expensive it is. But I like I, I use Twitter for work. I use Twitter 100% would pay. to I connect. I pay for so, Twitter like, Blue, that $2. Yeah, well, like, you, but you would pay for everything. You're like, give me a service I could pay for. Please give me more services true. to pay for. Um, but so, but I, so I have to say, I do love Twitter. And I hope he makes it a better place. I get lots of hate tweets all the time on Twitter. And I'm very quick to mute them or block them which is sort of the way I keep using the platform. Um, and I get hate tweets about the weirdest things. So it's not exactly. Well, give me an example. Cause I've had a few and I've, I've been really gracious to some of them, like kill them with kindness. And it, it really flusters them. No, don't engage. But then others are like, Brooke, why are you engaging with the trolls? Just but general people being sport. like, you're an idiot. Or like, why would you say something negative about Disney? And I'm like, I'm just reporting the news or, you know, just sort of like general hate. There was one person who tweets that one of my colleagues wears leather jackets and she's killing dogs. And I was like, I just, that's not about, first of all, not about me. Like just like random, random generalized anger. I have, I I know a lot of very smart people who think Elon Musk can make Twitter more user-friendly and I hope they are right. I think that. Does he open it up though, back to Kanye's and and says, I don't know. I think that, I think that there, that maybe this is, maybe this Kanye thing is a tipping point for people to be conscious of the negative implications of hate speech. I mean, I know you talked about, I think last week, the rise of these anti-Semitic incidents in Los Angeles, which is a city which has a, a very significant Jewish population compared to other cities. But I think that the question is like, to make Twitter more user-friendly, do you need to make it less full of hate? And I think the answer is probably yes. And I know that Twitter's already taken a lot of steps to make it um, a, you know, uh, a less toxic place. But there is always just a certain amount of, not just bots, I'm not talking about bots, I'm talking about like anger and- no, real um, humans, let's forget about bots. Trolling, real you know, like human. trolling, like angry humans. So um, I think that Twitter will be more successful if they could figure out how to tamp down on anything. If you fire really 75% of the team, what, what are you left with? I don't, I don't think you can fire 70. I mean, Twitter is an ad supported service. You need people to keep, A, keep the physical <laughs> operations up and running and B, you need like people to sell the ads and manage the ad sales. And what about innovation, right? They need to, to, you know, all these tech companies have to have R&D to keep coming up with all these new services that Elon Musk has talked about. So I will be very curious to see what happens. I cannot wait to see how the service changes. And I would assume that he'll bring in a team of people to execute on his, uh, on his thing. I don't know. I think I've, I, I love that you can still make assumptions around these guys because I can't talk about unpredictable. You can't guess anything. You can't guess anything. So it's totally unpredictable. But I have, I mean, people keep on asking me to predict what will happen with, with Twitter and Elon Musk. And the answer is nobody knows. Nobody knows. But at this point, it does seem likely that by the end of the week, he'll own the company. And then you have to wonder, like, who else might want to buy it? Is he going to turn around and sell it? If not, like, who's going to, who's, who's a, who would be an interested partner or buyer? But you know, Twitter is an is a valuable platform. It just hasn't been properly corralled. To how um, to think about the fact money. that like Disney was interested in Twitter. Like there's a lot there's there's a there's a there there, and I don't think platforms like Parler are ever going to get anywhere near Parler. its size or scale or reach. The question is just how do you can can Elon Musk make Twitter its best self? Like we shall see. Yeah, it's interesting. I obviously would pay for it. I I, I think that. A lot of those people who just sitting in their basements and sending out angry tweets go away if they have to pay for it. I do. I well, think that's an interesting thing. But will it, will it lose its reach if people have to pay for it? I mean, the whole 
reason it's so valuable is you have, you know, you know, hundreds of millions of people. people. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But if you make something you know, necessary enough, people will pay for it. So, but that's the question. It's like, are people used to paying, people are used to paying for certain types of content. They're not used to paying for other types of content. Like YouTube is ad supported. The vast, vast, vast majority of people do not pay for YouTube. Unlike you, Brooke. Unbelievable. And it's, I have no idea what I'm paying just to get BBC live, like the news. It was the most, it was an impetuous decision. I have to figure out how to cancel. I don't know how to do these things. Wow. I could sit here and talk all day about all of this stuff, but the Kanye stuff is so interesting in the, in the world that we're in, because it's like back to, I thought we'd changed. Here we are. Women are being made fun of by media companies. By the way, New York Magazine, the head of New York Magazine is a wonderful, is a wonderful woman. I, I, and the founder of the information is a wonderful woman. So it's just like, and the women- but I think that's the question is like, what's appropriate and what's humor? Like, I think that's what needs to be reevaluated. Like what's hurtful and what's not like, what's like, what, like, I mean, you think of all the people who like dressed up in Donald Trump masks or whatever president there is, people are wearing those masks on Halloween. Right. I've seen them trick or treating with my kids. So like, that's the question is like, wh- where is the line? What is it? And maybe we need to think about that line in terms of gender. In addition to all these other things. I, I think you're right. I think I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens as this plays out and the Kanye stuff. You know, we always have another drama. We always have another person to sort of point the finger at. And, you know, the The news cycle is short because there's another crazy story. What's happening? I mean, I will say on the good side of female stuff this week, I don't know if you've listened to the Taylor Swift album. It's incredible. The Midnight's and then the Midnight's 3 a.m. version. It is now the biggest album of 2022. It is also sold more albums since it beat the record since 2017. And that's been only in less than a week. That's literally less than a week. I think the album dropped That's on crazy. Friday. The music business is back. Do you know how to buy an album, by the way? I wouldn't even. <laughs> I just listen on Spotify or Apple Music. So. That's what I'm saying. Like, how do you even buy a motherfucking record right now? I don't even know how. I mean, there's no record. You'd go to anymore. iTunes. You'd go to iTunes and you would pay to download the album. That's how. But why do you do that? Because if you don't pay for Apple Music or Amazon Music or Spotify, you just buy the album and you put it in your in your library of digital albums. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't really know what I, I wouldn't even know where to listen to that. Wait, okay. So which music service do you use? Babe, I pay for all of them. I all pay for them. Spotify and Apple music. Uh, you know what I have to say? I pay for Spotify and Apple music too. Yeah. I mean, I do. I'm a big supporter. I'm also a big supporter of, you know, I believe artists should be getting paid and I pay for newspapers. I'm very happy to pay for all the newspapers, New York times, New Yorker, Washington post, See, you're not so far away from my no, but addiction. I, but I feel like it's like a philanthropic endeavor to keep the news business afloat in light of the fact that it's a crazy world. You know, though, what really pisses me off about the media stuff is that I am a, I pay so much money for these subscriptions. The New York Times, print and digital, I get it delivered. Then when I click on somebody's tweet with a New York Times article, I open it and it is like, you should subscribe to the New York Times and you have to sign in every single time. If Elon could fix that, I would, I would literally, it would be life. I'm going to help you, Brooke. The next time I see you, I'm going to help you with your app. Cause if you, if you log in anyways, no, we'll we've tried it. They, it's a glitch with the New York times. It's a New York times in particular thing. They've, they've talked about it. You I can't open it up in the app on your phone. It just, it, it makes me sign in as a, as a subscriber every single time to the New York times. Maybe they know Brooke that you'll keep subscribing. <laughs> 
And then I have to remember my password and it doesn't always say it's, I'm, I sound like I'm learning a lot like Howard Stern, like the anxiety, it's too much. I just throw it all down and I just, you know, watch SVU and that's how I relax and listen to you reading your sweet, sweet book <laughs> into my ear. Um, but the Taylor Swift album is incredible and it happened fast. She's remarkable. And I think it was such an interesting juxtaposition as this Taylor Kanye, you know, beef has gone on for more than a decade now. And as his fall from grace continues at a, a, you know, immensely fast pace. She drops her 10th studio album and smashes, smashes records. And yeah. And, and it also has this sort of connection with her fans where people are looking for, you know, those Easter eggs. And so people really listen over and over. And I think about, you know, the way people play video games looking for Easter eggs or watch Marvel movies looking for Easter eggs, this idea that she either intentionally or not intentionally is burying all of these layers so people can find, it's not just catchy, but people can find new meaning when they listen over and over. The meaning, all of the meaning. And then they analyze. And I will say I have spent, I put a lot of it in the newsletter. So if you guys want to go and look at, there's so many TikToks using sounds from her songs, like the, the sexy baby, she references a sexy baby and everyone's like, what is she talking about? But then other TikTokers are like, sexy baby. That was a Liz Lemon line from 30 Rock. And then it's like, you get to bring it all back. And it's, It's a 30 Rock episode from like 10 years ago. But I mean, she's so clever with all the layers, but it's been really fascinating to see this sort of Swifty army coming in and the the juxtaposition of, you know, Kanye falling and creating hate and whatnot and Taylor exacting her revenge on whether it's Scooter Braun or Kanye or whatever it is that she's going after and all of us analyzing it, you know, literally line by line by line by line, video, what outfit she's wearing, how she's holding her pen, what, you know, earrings she has in. I mean, it's unbelievable. These people, these Swifties, like they should be running the government. They should be running the secret (laughs) service. They should be running the FBI. So detail oriented. My question is, do you think she's aware of the level and the degree of of analysis? Oh, she's fully aware. She is so, uh, uh, she's ahead of them. She knows exactly what she's going to do. But I don't know if you saw this, the FBI tweeted. (laughs) Yes, I saw that. Swift (laughs) first month. Yes. So she said something like, you better call the FBI for the white collar crime or whatnot. And so then the FBI said, white collar crimes, please, you know, contact us swiftly. And then my favorite response was <laughs> so mean, but somebody said, I have your villain. And it was a picture like to that below the FBI tweet. And it was a picture of Scooter Braun. And it's just like, you know, but you see these kids, they have, they, I mean, I, they can't pass calculus, but they are putting together the world's mysteries of Taylor Swift. And they were, but by the way, she's such a good role model, taking control of her life, you know, creating, creating, pushing herself. You know, there's been so much about her evolution, but she's someone who's like, keeps on pushing herself. And I think that if anything, the biggest criticism of this album is that it wasn't a dramatic departure in terms of the sound. You know, she's doing things that sound a little bit more familiar to what we've heard before, but it's amazing. But her songwriting is so clever. People are like, how is she going to entirely reinvent herself again? And people are like, wait, what? She has to entirely reinvent herself. I mean, I just love watching 
watching her. I love watching her. I love watching. I love the music. What was um? We're gonna get to our my favorite segment of Mary make out or mute. But back to your book, which everyone needs to read. First of all, what was the hardest part about writing a book that you found? I mean, obviously we know it's like the discipline, the the making time. You have a full time job. You're have two kids. I mean, what was the the most unexpected? Challenge. So I'm a fundamentally optimistic person. I'm super inspired by all these amazing women I've met, including you, Brooke, but also all the women in my book, dozens of women I feature. I interviewed about 120 women for the book. And I was just really like at my core inspired and hopeful because of them, because of their game changing companies they're creating. And I believe that the world is going to embrace more equity because it's the financially smart thing to do. Diversity is financially beneficial. And so I was writing this book with very much an optimistic approach. And I was really stuck on this pile of research about how women are judged more harshly for about 50 different reasons. And I read about 300 academic studies in this process. But once I started going down the rabbit hole of ways in which women face double standards, it was like a laundry list and I was drowning in it. So it was Women are judged more harshly for using humor. They're judged more harshly for giving feedback of any kind, for showing any emotion, obviously for showing anger, for talking as much as men do, for being too nurturing, for not being nurturing enough. I mean, like this goes on and on and on and on. I mean, I remember when I started in my career, I was told in a, a review, which they did peer reviews. So my boss sat me down and then had done a 360. They got all these people who had known me for like six weeks to sort of give their commentary on me. And it was, you know, Brooke, we feel you use your humor and sarcasm to disguise your ignorance. So by the way, another one, another one of these um, things that women are judged more harshly on is women are more likely to be given feedback about their style and not on their substance, period. Men are more likely to be given positive feedback and it's on their substance and not their approach, not their style. Right. So, I mean, that's probably, you're probably getting criticized on your style, not on the actual work uh-huh. you were getting done. Correct. So I was really that's stuck that. on all of this and I was like, this is just so depressing. And I'm not, I'm not depressed by the women, but like, what, what do you do with all this research? What do you do with all this? How do I make sense of this? And how do I not, how do I write this chapter? Like, I don't know what to do with this chapter. And I had a turning point when I realized that all of that knowledge is power. And if you know all of that, you can confront bias and not let it bother you. And there were plenty of times in my career where people would say things to me that were horrible. And I would take it personally because I was like, wait, did I do something wrong? You know, was I being too harsh? Was my tone off? Like, and I would just like try to figure it out and I would spin out about it. And then I would ultimately recover, but it was a waste of time and energy. And I I just realized in going through all this research that the women who have succeeded have done so because they figured out how not to let that stuff bother them, but also how to use their knowledge about bias to better navigate it. So for me, once I knew all the, this research, I was much more confident at work because if I was confronted like I was by a man telling me that my tone in an mm-hmm. interview with the CEO had been harsh, instead of me spiraling and wondering, was I unfair? Did I not handle the interview well? I thought, wait a second, I know I did a great interview. I'm gonna turn this around. The woman knew that I did a great interview, but I, I had the research, like those, you know, 300 academic studies were actually useful. And I could say to him, actually, you know what? I think my interview is really fair. And I wonder, gee, would you say the same thing to one of my men? I love that part when you, cause, and he, he 
he surprised me in his response. Yeah. And he said, you know what? I don't know, but I, I guess I have to think of it. He said, I, he said to me, he's like, I actually think I would have expected it of him. And I was like, what? You expected a serious interview of him and not of me? <laughs> like, come on. So I think that there was that, that was a turning point. And I went from drowning in depressing data to understanding this data can be a weapon for women to make progress. Yeah. And Take it and use it as like a shield to protect you. But then also, if you need it as a tool to succeed, then you're like, you're like, I know the research. Like, or by the way, if you're getting feedback just on your style and not on your substance, you could say, hey, you know, this is really useful to understand how my style could be off-putting, but I'd love to hear actually about the substance of my work and whether or not I'm hitting the benchmarks that are important to you. So like, I feel like just knowing that can enable you to keep calm, yeah, not get upset, and forge forward. And that to me was um, the hardest part, but then turned out to be the most useful and kind of liberating part. So once you got over that hump, it sort of opened yeah. all of it. But this. I was like drowning it. And I was like, wait a second, let me take this mess of data and shape it into oh tools God. for people's advantage. Every time I think about writing a book, I would not write a book like this because I don't have the brain for it. I I would write, you know, either a fun, a fun novel or something along those lines. But every time I, you know, I love to write. But if I think about writing a book in that pressure, I think I would need to start smoking cigarettes. I would become an alcoholic. <laughs> I would sit there and just smoke. I'd have a pot pile of cigarettes. I would, I need a typewriter and white out. Like I envision, <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't know why that's like, you know, the, but the, that's the thing. It's like, it's a very, I think of the, like the cigarettes and typewriter, if you're like on a tight deadline, right? Yeah. But a book, it, you were, you're living with it for a year. So you have to really love the characters. You have to like, you have to really love it. Otherwise you're like, I don't want to live with this. Thing yeah. Right I want to break up with you immediately. Yeah. I want to break up with them. So, well, speaking about that's a perfect segue breakups. We, we play this game here at PCMOT and it's, make out, marry, and mute. They could be people, characters, fictional. They could be ideas, inanimate objects. So while you're thinking about it, do you want me to go in? Yeah, I think I'm ready. But you go first. Yeah. Okay. I'll go first because yours, I want to end with you because I feel like it's going to be like, okay. So I would make out with this book, which I basically do because I've been listening to it in bed at night and you're like the last thing I hear at night. And it's, but I I really do. I love the book. I, I've been so fortunate to have friends who write good books. It would be really awkward if, you know, Krista (laughs) Bilton had that amazing memoir that she wrote about, about her family. And this book is just, it was unexpected for me because there are a lot of these types of books that I'm like, I have to do it. It's an assignment. This was a page turner and it's a story. You're a storyteller. You really are. This was incredible. And you learn so much about the people and I just can't speak enough about it. So I'd make out the, the book. Thank you. I would marry Taylor Swift just because I think that would be so fun. I mean, I love her creativity. I love her brain. I would like to just sit up and watch her write songs all night. I feel like we'd be besties it would be great. I would, I would marry her. And then I would mute Kanye. He's been muted, but I would continue to mute him. I would not give him platforms like Chris Cuomo gave him. What about you? I would marry my book because I am married to this book. <laughs> um, I am. I have lived with this book. I breathe this book when I was writing it for two years and I love it. I love, but I, and I love the characters in here. And I mostly can't wait for everyone listening to read these stories. I mean, these women are amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I can't tell you how many times I like wept. My eyes were full of tears when I was doing these interviews because the women are just phenomenal and have overcome so much and have so much courage 
And I just, whenever I'm having a bad day, I think about how inspiring they are. And to so open that's up to you is a really yeah. vulnerable, you know, it's a really big deal. And it says a lot about you that you got so many of these incredible people to tell their like most honest stories. This is not. But I, I also feel like I was very lucky to be married to this book during the pandemic because everyone was stuck at home. Yeah. No one had any excuse not to talk to me. And I do think people were much more reflective. They took a beat. They were thinking really deep about who they were, what they cared about, why they had done things the way they had. So it was like this weird moment of self-reflection for everyone, including including myself and doing it. So anyway, so that's my long-term commitment to my book. Make out would be all these amazing women I've read I've met during my book tour. So many women, especially young women, who are telling me their ideas for companies or their struggles, the sort of stereotypes they've struggled with. And I think they're all awesome. And I can't wait to see how they change the world. And I just want to make out with them and smother them with kisses because they're the best. I mean, you have had an unbelievable book tour, I will say. Like, there is not a day that goes by over the last few weeks that my Instagram hasn't been fed, not just like filled with, but not just from you, but like, I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even know so-and-so knew Julia. And they're at this book party and I can't wait for your book tour in London. Um, you're, I can't wait for that. So thank you. Well, I've been, I've cloned myself and I'm everywhere all at once. I you seem to be everywhere, but I have a lot of people in London. They're amazing women who are very excited to you. So more women to make Great. out. Great. Well, I can't wait. But so it's been fun. Um, yeah. But also, but like everywhere I go, like you're, I'm at MSNBC and I meet some cool PA and she's telling me about her dreams. And so I just feel like they're everywhere. There are women with dreams who have the potential to change the world. And I can't wait to see what happens next. And then in terms of mute, I would say anti-Semitism. It's not just Kanye West. He's sort of sparked or uncovered or opened a conversation about something that's happening. And the fact that it's happening around us here in L.A., I guess it's not surprising to me. And that's kind of the saddest part. I mean, that, that I'm picture not surprised. with those, you know, the thing that we're talking about, guys, if you haven't seen yeah. it, is as there were this weekend in Los Angeles on the 405, which is one of the busiest uh, freeways in the country. Um, one of those overpasses, you had about, I don't know, six, 10 people that had homemade signs that they hung over the overpass that said Kanye is right about the Jews and other anti-Semitic things and doing the Heil Hitler hand gesture. Um, of course, their faces were hidden because they were. But I think what's interesting is like, I'm not surprised that that's there. I, I just feel like this is the first time it's been uncovered in public in a big American city, you know, in a, in a blue state for the first time. Yeah. No. And it said honk if you agree. And they said a lot of people, a lot of people were honking. And I think that the question is, can this be used as a moment to talk about these things and why it's not OK? You know, yeah. to your to the point of your people you were talking to in Germany about Holocaust deniers, like, can we use this as a teaching moment? And I feel like whenever there is a terrible situation like this, I always think about like, wh what can we learn from this? Like, how could we make sure that this doesn't persist, but use it as an opportunity to get better? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, what scares me is what's happening in Poland and what's happening even in Germany and now in Italy with these right wing. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if we're we have a lot. We, we are going far backwards and um It'll be interesting to read the history books at some point. So, but on the positive, we need more of you out there, Julia. We need you to Thank write you, more Brooke. books and book is a sensation guys. So get it while you can. Cause I know it's going to be in limited supply soon. Cause they're selling <laughs> like hotcakes and it's so pretty. I love, I remember when we were going, looking at the different colors that you were looking yeah. at and I'm so glad you went with the blue and the red. It's perfect. No pink and purple. No pink this and purple. A, yeah. Come on. Yeah. Okay guys. Well, Julia Borson, you are a gem for all the information 
description. Go to the show notes and I will see you all soon. Have an amazing week and stay addicted to pop culture. Talk soon. Pop culture.